In Psalms 24, uh, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Today I'd like to talk about what that means for us. Uh, and as you know, uh, the elders here asked me, um, as part of my work with the church as a deacon, to work in the missions area and work with the missions committee. Uh, I'm really honored to work, with, work in that. I want to spend some time together talking about stewardship, which will allow us to also talk about what we're doing around missions work here at the church. Um, as I prepared for this, this topic is so big, um, and you could dedicate weeks and weeks to it. Um, but I hope today to just introduce what it means and give some areas that will help all of us continue to grow in this key tenet of what it means to be God's people. So what does the word steward mean? Uh, Merriam-Webster's definition of it is the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So you're probably wondering, who's this guy up on the screen? Maybe you, maybe you know him, maybe you don't. But this is Denethor, who is the steward of Gondor, a character in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Ring series. So, a bit of an admission. Uh, one of the th interests uh, in my spare time is science fiction literature genre similar to uh, the Lord of the Rings. Tolkien was a pioneer in this area um, and is, uh, was good friends with a number of contemporaries, including C.S. Lewis, who also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia around the same time, as well as many other uh, works, and is probably the best-known Christian apologist um, of, of the century. Part of the reason that this genre brings interest to me is that it has a penchant to be allegorical in nature. Not all the times by the intent of the author, but it's hard to tell stories about heroes and evil without Christians seeing God's way. And it's so important. And it's counter to our worldview that... Um, the story of Jesus is seen in them easily. Okay, so enough of that. Um, uh, talk to me later if you share similar interests or want to talk about other uh, stories to explore. But Denethor in this story is the steward of the kingdom of Gondor, which had a line of kings that was broken and awaiting the return of the king, which is also the last title of the books and of the movies. See, his power came from the fact that the king was not identified, nor was a return date known. Denethor watched over the kingdom, essentially ruling it until that return. This is not unlike what God has done with and for us. Understanding stewardship and our responsibility is key to realizing where the true power and authority lie. Psalms 21, Psalm 21, 4 uh, 21 verse 1 shows us that the earth is the Lord's. Not the pieces of it, not what we want him to have, but the whole earth and the people who live in it. So why does this topic speak to me? Because I don't always want to recognize that fact. I'm sure you don't either. 
Certainly, our world doesn't want to, or we would be overflowing with people running towards our king, which sadly isn't the case. In the story, Denethor has an interaction with Gandalf in the throne room. Now, this scene plays out a little bit different in the movies and in the book, but in the movie interaction, I feel it really highlights the struggle. And in this scene, Gandalf, who you can think of kind of like a prophet— Um, or missionary, is telling Denethor about the impending return of the heir to claim the mantle of king, one established through the blood as the rightful ruler of Gondor. As you can imagine, he is not happy about this and struggles with Gandalf, who eventually says, authority is not given to you, steward, to deny the return of the king. To which Denethor replies in a very passionate way, the rule of Gondor is mine. This exchange hits at my struggle and shows that when we lose sight of where our authority comes from, we start believing we hold the power, just as Denethor did. So I'll leave you to watch or read how it turns out for Denethor, but rest assured, the king wins in the end. As I said at the start, this topic can go in so many different directions, and I could spend a lot of time discussing God's power and authority. But that, however, is just the backdrop of what I really feel called to talk about, which is recognizing just how many areas of life we are stewards, and that sometimes we fight against or really struggle to give over to God. I'm going to highlight four different areas today, but it certainly isn't an exhaustive list, but ones of a that are personally important to me are ones that I see people or the world struggle with frequently. God, in his wisdom, always intended us to be stewards. It started from the very beginning when God created man. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the first area I want to talk about is about the earth and its resources. I'm willing to bet that you have an opinion in this matter. We certainly hear a lot about this from the government and the science communities on what they view our roles are here. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15. And it says, The Lord God took man, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. Here God gives his charge to man. It was to watch over the garden and to tend it and to take care of it. See, the garden was God's gift to man, and he put us in it to be his stewards and ensure that it continued to deliver the gift as he intended. But he had stipulations as the king that required us to manage it under his terms, not ours. Well, it didn't take long before Adam and Eve lost sight of who held the power— And as we know, they tried to manage things to their desires. Immediately after, God responds with his punishment. 
See, he was called to respond. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and from dust you are, and dust you will return. So, what does this mean for us? One, his expectation of stewardship was never removed. Earth and its resources are still our responsibility. We're still charged to manage them, but now our charge is cursed. Not through its doing, but through ours. So, so, so through sin, our stewardship got harder. The earth was now actively working against us instead of in harmony. We see it get even harder when in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, Noah and his sons come off of the ark. And God said, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. See, God expanded our ability and our food sources, and he offers the animals for food. But in response, the animals will now fear men. I can't imagine what it was like before and what it looked like when animals didn't fear men. But we know what it looks like now, and we see that it is uh, we see what it looks like for the animals of the earth to dread us. So the second part that we can take from this is that our stewardship continues until this earth passes away. In Luke chapter 12, verse 42 and 43, Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise man- manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. We see that Jesus tells us to be wise managers and provide food for his servants in the proper time. How can we do this if we don't take our responsibility seriously to ensure this gift is maintained? Ultimately, it is in God's control of when our call will end. And while we should recognize he's in control, it is proper stewardship to keep his earth maintained. This world is only one of God's gifts um, that he's provided with an expectation to manage. I'm guessing that if you've heard or studied stewardship before in the past, finances is one, if not the only, topic that was taught. Corey and I... uh, throughout our marriage, have participated in Dave Ramsey's financial peace, pretty um, much from the start of our marriage. If you've heard or read his guidance on finances, is biblically-based and well worth exploring if you find yourself in need of assistance in this area. One of the main reasons we started on this course was our experience at another congregation that overextended themselves financially. 
We heard from the pulpit almost every week about the stewardship of individual finances with the goal of increasing the giving of its members. I can't say that it was handled great, but it got us talking and ultimately led us to study this for ourselves. In Luke chapter 19, verse 12 through 27, we see the parable of the uh, minas. I'm not going to read through this, um, but again, this is a topic that provides a wealth of study opportunity for us, and this is just one of the many examples of proper handling um, of our gifts from God. While this parable specifically uses money as the example of managing God's resources, it goes so much further. It certainly holds true that we should use and manage our finances properly as God intends us to do, which we can see that by doing so, we are given more. As we continue to discuss other areas of stewardship, I would challenge us to look at those areas in the same way we do wealth. We need money to live and to provide for the saints and the workings of the church, but we need many many other things to do so as well, including the resources of the world, which we already discussed. So the third area of stewardship that I really would like to talk about is one that is more passionate and one that causes me to pause and pray more often than any others. That's the gift of our children. Sadly, many people in this world don't see children as a gift in the way or manner that I believe they should. And while I don't want to stray into politics, the past few months highlights to me a gap in many people's thinking. Over the last few months, I've seen children discussed as burdens, unwanted, and to be blunt, expendable to people's selfish desires. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, we see that Moses is charged to parents in this verse. He says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord of your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. See, Moses charged parents with keeping and obeying the laws of the Lord, not just for themselves, but for their children and their grandchildren, so that it might go well for them and their children forever. Stop and think about that for a minute. He says, you keep these commands so that your children may fear me and have long life. Those of you that are parents know that our kids don't always make the right choices or the choice that we would make for sure. But if we set the right examples for them, we will instill a fear of the Lord that will hopefully lead to obedience as they grow. That's not to say that no child will ever depart, but our responsibility to them is to teach and show them the way. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. He says, They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I wake up, when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares, a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see this distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. 
We see that those that fear him will be his, and like a man who spares his son, so will the righteous be spared. Ella is 13. Going on 13, if you know what I mean. She hates it when we talk about that. Um, like most teenagers, she can be disagreeable and in need of correction from time to time. And I know that Corey and I both get upset or frustrated with her on occasion. The, the funny thing is, if you ask me about the last time that was, I can't tell you what it was. It was probably in the past few weeks, but I don't remember. See, as parents, we handle, correct, or punish when, it, when it's needed, and then we move on past it. If someone asks us about our children, we don't say, oh, they're terrible, horrible. We see past those flaws so easily in them, and that is God's promise to us as well. We're his sons. So setting a good example is important, but it isn't the end of our stewardship to our family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, We are charged with providing for our immediate family. And if we don't, we are denying the faith. And it reads, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In this letter, Paul is addressing a wide variety uh, and range of different life circumstances and personal interactions. This very direct statement comes right after he discusses widows and how children are supposed to repay their parents and grandparents by taking in the widow. Exactly how do we repay if we haven't provided to them before that? I think the simple answer is that you will get repayment based off of what you've given. This can how many times we all, we all have people in our lives that repair their, repay their parents with the similar support that they received in their life or the lack thereof? That can be financially or emotionally. I've seen both, and how sad it can be to watch that occur when a child repays their parent negatively. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, is the last thing that we should talk about when it comes to our kids, and that is discipline. In chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Here we're told to endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating us like sons. The writer asks, what son is not disciplined, and says that if we are not, then we are illegitimate children. As parents and family, we are entrusted with raising our children so that as they grow, they fear the Lord, as we saw in Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've all heard it takes a village, and that is certainly true. We can see all around us where those who are called to protect and guide children are lacking the will to discipline them in love. I'm not talking about specific mechanisms of discipline, but rather the idea that children are not in need of guidance and correction. 
How disheartening it is to me to watch as kids not old or wise enough to make life-altering decisions are being allowed and encouraged to pursue areas contrary to God's laws. As stewards in God's church, it is our call not to forego discipline or reproof when needed to guide our precious gift of our children. So the last area of stewardship that I'd like to talk about is this body, the church. Like our children, each of us have a responsibility to this body and our stewards in our own various ways. In Titus chapter 1, verse 7, It says, Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. We see the qualities of an overseer here, and while this passage is addressing elders at the local congregations and the qualifications of those we should choose for that work, are we not all overseers in the world around us? That may seem overly simplified, but as we saw from above, parents are charged with overseeing their children. We're all, cared, all called to take care of our families. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. See, we're called to use our unique gifts to serve God and to serve the church. And in sim similarly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, so that men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove more faithful. Paul tells us that we've been entrusted with the secret things of God. He goes on to say that since we've done that, we must prove to be more faithful. Winston Churchill is credited with saying, with great power comes great responsibility. It's up for debate whether he said, said that first, um, but it's been used many times over in movies and by all sorts of leaders. As Christ followers, we have a stewardship to protect and serve the Lord's church in any way that we can. We see in Titus that elders are to be blameless. Don't we want the world around us to see us that way also? How else will we be able to bring more people to the kingdom if we do not understand our role in being a steward to protect it. So as we reflect on stewards, now's a good time to talk about the mission work here in Eugene. I hope at this point you can see why I thought this topic uh, fit very well with that and how it applies to expanding our mission support here at the congregation. So a little bit about the approach and what we're currently doing. First, you should know that we currently support a number of different works, um, the Eastern European Missions, a Spanish Literature uh, Mission, and a work 
called the West African Missions. We do this via monthly support out of our budget. In addition, we collect change for Mountain State Children's Home, and if you haven't seen, there are cans out there, so pick one up, um, and send that off for their continued work. But as we think about stewardship, it's important for us to continue supporting works like these, um, and the Missions Committee is focused on setting up things in a way that we can respond and expand our support in missions. So uh, if you don't know, we do have a committee that's meeting um, Ron, uh, Palmer, Cindy Hoffman, and Christopher and Anna um, are all on that committee. As we, as we look at that, the committee is really thinking about how do we continue to grow and expand in this. There is certainly no shortage of needs or requests when it comes to missions. The unfortunate truth is our funding is not limitless. So how and where we utilize our resources and evaluating the impact are just some of the conversation that the, dis that the team has discussed thus far. Our vision and goal is to move from supporting several groups with um, limited funds to really looking for more direct support for a missionary who we can really connect with the work and where our funding will provide bigger impacts. At the moment, we're establishing some reserves to really be able to begin that work and look for that opportunity in earnest. Okay, so you're probably thinking, well, what about Rob Wood and his family? And that's a great question, so let's talk a little bit about Rob. Um, first, I'd like to say this family responded tremendously and provided uh, a lot of support for Rob and Heather as they made the move from Eugene to Austin, Texas. I, don't, I didn't get the final numbers from Rob, but I know that we uh, covered most, if not all, of the moving expenses for them, which is tremendous. And so while we're continuing to look in the missions committee and the eldership is looking at how we can continue to provide support to that uh, family in the current budgeting. Um, in reality, it's going to be modest in comparison to the overall budget that Rob and Heather have as needs for a monthly support. So I talked with Rob before he left and said, tell me how we can best help you. How does the church help you? Um, and the school that he's a part of takes uh, donations and contributions directly for Rob and Heather in support. And so while as a congregation out of our current budget, we may not be able to cover that, I believe that this congregation and this family can really help with that. See, Rob told me that what he really would like to see is a lot of people donating to him, not just one check from the church. And that's partly because as he goes and continues to work in this, he needs that emotional support that sees that we're behind him. And so while we'll be continuing to discuss how we do that um, as a congregation, here, and this is posted on Facebook, and so I grabbed the, the, the 
uh, address, right, where we can send checks individually to him. There's also, I believe, an online giving portal where you can send that to him, right? I challenge us to shower Rob and Heather with whatever we can find, right? That 10 or 20 or $50 that we can scrape out of our budget to send to them over the next two years will not only provide the financial support that they need, but also, more importantly, will provide with him the ongoing emotional support that says we're behind him uh, in this effort, right? How great it is to see somebody dedicate their lives, right, to uproot their family and to go pursue and to, to trust that God will provide for them. And we have an opportunity to be part of that um, in, in doing that. So in closing, uh, thank, thank you for, to the elders and for Calvin to, you know, giving me the opportunity to, to speak again. I hope that these words have rung true for you in whatever way that you needed. I am struck by the momentous responsibility that we have to manage the gifts that God has bestowed upon us. It would be nice to just sit back and reap those rewards and not have to be burdened with the work that comes along with them. However, as the Psalm 24 says, the whole world is God's and all the people who live in it. You see, when we get down or stressed about the managing or the failures um, that we have in managing his gifts, he's there to pick us up. After all, we are his. What a comfort to know that he is there, and in the end, we have the promise of rewards in heaven without the burdens of stewardship. Isn't it worth the hassle here to know what awaits us in the end? Jesus says to those that are weary, come and I will give you rest. Are you burdened with the weight of responsibility? Do you need help in overcoming that or prayers lifted up to him on your behalf? Or are you ready to take your place in his kingdom? and to join in his peace and comfort through baptism. If so, uh, I invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. that 